Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, podcast listeners. It's been a while, but you know, sometimes life just happens and gets in the way. You know, there's been a lot of events that have been happening. And even though it has been a slower week last week in Wall Street, there have been a lot of events that are happening. And there's still stuff that's happening across the board. But today, just some things we're going to be able to talk about first from this weekend. Disney is the biggest winner and loser at the Thanksgiving box office and what that could mean for Disney going forward. There's also some news in the tech world as well as Walmart overtakes Amazon and shoppers search for Black Friday bargains and why that could be a big deal for Walmart going forward. And we got some other news from Black Friday as well. Black Friday online sales top $9 billion in new record, which is interesting because the pros have been saying that it's going to be an interesting holiday season with inflation currently about. Then we got some news from Hyundai. Hyundai is on a hot streak in the U.S., but Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act could spoil it going forward. And finally, the biggest article that we're going to be talking about towards the end of this podcast is text reality check. How it's the industry lost $7.4 trillion in one year. That is a big number going to be able to talk about when the time comes. So with that being said, I have to remind you all that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything I talk about this podcast is for information entertainment purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Please also be advised too that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. And everything I talk about talk about on this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only you need to do your own research before investing and you need to talk to your professional advisor as they'd understand your financial situation a lot better than i would with that being said let's begin today's podcast disney is the biggest winner and loser at the thanksgiving box office this year's thanksgiving box office was both fested and famine for walt disney while Black Panther Wakanda Forever added $64 million to its domestic tally during the five-day time frame, Disney's latest animated feature, Strange World, failed to lure moviegoers generating about $18.6 million between Wednesday and Sunday, the dismal $11.9 million for the traditional three-day opening. That's its worst three-day performing for a Disney animated feature since 2000's The Emperor's New Groove, which brought in just under $10 million during its debut, according to data from Comscore. The Dichonomous Weekend comes as CEO Bob Iger returns to the helm as the company, promising a restructure of Disney in a way that puts creative at the forefront. Iger is expected to expand those plans during the company's town hall on Monday. The week of Thanksgiving is typically a robust time at the box office in the last decade, not counting 2020 and 2021. The five-day Thanksgiving spread, consisting of Wednesday before Thanksgiving through Sunday, has resulted in more than $250 million in ticket sales each year. This year, the domestic Thanksgiving box office tallied around 121 million black panther wakanda forever led the pack with strange world taking second place all other films including sony's devotion disney's searchlights the menu warner brothers black adam and universal's the fable man's tale tallied less than 10 million each none of the mix is netflix glassed onion the streamer declined to share box office receipt receipts from its latest ryan johnson's film although it is believed that it's tallied between 13 million and 15 million during his five-day stretch while strange world outperformed a number of other films this weekend it's muted opening raises concerns about disney's animated strategy and if Iger can 
right the ship. Yeah, okay. This is what I believe is happening right now, okay? I think Stranger World wasn't that big of a deal because there's a plot that it's a new it's a new idea, new film in the making. I don't know much about it, but in reality, I mean, leading up to the film's release, I didn't know much about the film in general. I knew about Black Panther Wakanda Forever because, well, we've been bred as a generation to understand the Marvel Cinematic Universe in general. So it makes sense why Wakanda Black Panther, I mean, correction, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is doing so well because it's a continuation on the same story that we have come to learn and love over time. But this new series, don't know much about it. Strange World. I mean, I don't even know what it's about currently. Don't even know any of the advertisements. But at the end of the day, it's not surprising that it didn't do well. At the end of the day, though, Disney still has one major film coming out. It's called Avatar The The Way of Water. I'm expecting that to be a huge hit in the making currently right now. This isn't financial advice, obviously. And a small disclosure I forgot to mention, too, is I do have a small stake in Disney stock. It's a very, very small position, and it's a very, very long-term position. But with the turn of their CEO, Iger, I am expecting the ship to turn around. Okay, I love the fact that they're mentioning, like, oh, can he stir the right the ship? Of course he can. It's Bob Iger. He's made a lot of good moves the last couple of years. Now, will Disney continue being political turmoil? Probably, because it says here, it says Disney's previous CEO, Bob Chapek, who took over for Iger just as the pandemic was starting starting in early 2020, made a series of decisions that alienated the company's creative leaders in the wake of movie theater closures. To start, he reorganized the company to funnel creative decisions through a simple executive rather than with each studio, taking power away from the people who were responsible for Disney's biggest blockbusters. Chapek then opted to have a number of Pixar and Disney animation films released directly on the company's streaming services instead of in theaters. This was part because of the time children weren't vaccinated and families were avoiding theaters, but also to try to bolster Disney Plus library with new content. These decisions have led a lot of confusion for audiences whether when animated Disney films have been released theoretically. Either these moviegoers are unaware the film is being put into the market or they think it's coming in a Disney streaming platform. This happened when Disney's released Lightyear in Cinemas in June, while the two previous tone uh, Toy Story franchises films each opened more than $100 million domestically. Lightyear snared up just $50 million in ticket sales during its debut. Compounding the strategic decision in the fact that the family films have sparse at the box office in the wake of the pandemic, this means that fewer opportunities for studios to market film trailers to their de- designated audiences in cinematic and must rely more heavily on television and digital ads. I just think in general, Bob Iger is going to turn things around at Disney. It's going to be interesting. I still think Disney is going to be in the spotlight for a lot of political stuff. And I'm curious to know how Bob Iger is going to handle that going forward. But there's probably going to be a little bit more order with Bob Iger's return. It's Bob Iger is one of those CEOs, in my opinion. This is not financial advice, obviously. Bob Iger is the face of Disney right now. And as long as Bob Iger is in charge, Disney's probably going to have a rebound. In all honesty, it's going to be interesting to see where Disney's at in a year or two. But the rebound looks like it's going to be coming, hopefully, shortly. Pure speculation on my part, but that's just my opinion. Continuing on, Walmart overtakes Amazon and shoppers search for Black Friday bargains. And small disclosure, I do have a long position and short position in Walmart stock. Okay. It says, Walmart is a top for mind for holiday shoppers who are hunting for Black Friday deals according to news research. This is from CNBC, by the way. The big box retailer is dominating online searches for Black Friday discounts as of Friday morning, according to advertising technology companies Captify, which tracks more than 1 billion searches a day on websites globally. Searches for Black Friday discounts on Walmart surged 386% year over year, leapfrogging rival retailer Amazon, which last year ranked first a uh, Captify survey of most searched retailers on Black Friday. 
This year, the world's largest e-commerce company ranked fourth behind Target and Kohl's, respectively. Retailers are battling for shoppers, eyeballs, and wallets at a time when holiday shopping season is expected to be more subdued than in years past. Americans are expected to pull back on their holiday shopping this year as high sky-high inflation squeezes their spending power. The National Retail Federation said it expects holiday sales during November and December to rise up between 6 to 8% from last year, a decline from factoring in effects of inflation online sales during the months of November and December are forecast to grow a meager 2.5% to $209.7 billion, compared to 8.6% increase a year ago, according to Adobe Analytics. Earlier signs of the season may be as not as gloomy as predicted. Online sales climbed 2.9% year over year to $5.29 billion on Thanksgiving Day. Adobe Analytics, that's slightly higher than estimated in its growth during the overall holiday season. Black Friday is expected to pull in $9 billion online sales, a 1% jump from the previous year, according to Adobe. Shopify merchandise saw, saw a solid start to its holiday period business, who hosts their online stores on Shopify, were ranking in $1.52 million per minute on Thanksgiving Day, according to the company. You know, Black Friday in general is just crazy. I mean... If you've ever worked in retail, you would understand completely how Black Friday works. And it's kind of mind-boggling a little bit. A lot of people go there for the electronics. And especially, I believe on Monday, it's going to be Cyber Monday in the making. And that's another fun holiday for retail in general. But what's interesting, too, is on Saturday, this was being reported. It says Black Friday online sales top $9 billion in new record. Consumers, and this is from CNBC, spent a record $9.12 billion online shopping during Black Friday this year, according to Adobe, which tracks sales on retailers' websites. Overall online sales for the fourth day after Thanksgiving were up 2.3% year-over-year, and electronics were a major contributor as online sales surged 221% over an average day in October, Adobe said. Toys were another popular category for shoppers, up 285%, as was exercise equipment, which was up 218%. Many consumers embraced flexible payment plans on Black Friday as they continued to grapple with high prices and inflation. Buy now, pay later payments increased by 78% with this past week beginning November 19th. And buy now, pay later revenues up 81% for the same period. Okay, this is going to be an interesting thought to have right now. Okay, if people are going with this attitude of uh, buy now, pay later strategy, does that mean companies like Visa, MasterCard are going to do really well soon? This is not financial advice. Just Food for thought for a second. Because if people are using debt right now to buy this stuff, how much until later on do these companies start making more money in the future? What's also going to be interesting too, especially working at a retail like Target in the past like I have, people are probably using their Target gift, no, not Target gift cards, Target red cards as they used to call it. I think they still call it that too. But are people going to be using more of these companies' credit cards in the making? which means how much money are these companies going to make? That's going to be interesting. The company that reports next quarter on this quarter's earnings report, who talks about Black Friday shopping, I'm curious to know which companies are going to do the best. It looks like Walmart might do well. Who knows what Target did? and Who knows what Amazon did as well? And Kohl's, obviously, at the end of the day. But it is something to think about because if people are using the buy now, pay later strategy, which cards are they using? That's an interesting thought, like I said. Continuing on, it says some of the year's hottest items, including gaming consoles, drones, Apple, MacBooks, Dyson products, and toys like Fortnite, Roblox, Bluey, I think that's how you say Bluey, Funko Pop, and Disney's Encanto, according to the report. Black Friday shoppers also broke a record for mobile orders as 48% of online sales were made on smartphone, an increase from 44% last year. So a 4% increase for people shopping online. 
which means it makes me wonder if people were shopping on their phones on Thanksgiving dinner tables. Continuing on, the article says the record-breaking spending comes as the heels of the strong day of Thanksgiving shopping, in which consumers shelled out an all-time high of $5.29 billion online, up 2.9% year-over-year. Typically, shoppers spend about $2 billion to $3 billion online in a day, according to Adobe. For retailers, these numbers may be a promising indicator of the coming weeks. Early holiday forecasts have been muted, and Target, Macy's, Nordstrom, and other retailers reported a, a lou in sales in late October and early November. Consumer sentiment has also weakened in the past month as inflation hovers near four-decade highs. Though Black Friday is over, e-commerce activity still remains strong through the weekend. According to Adobe reports, Adobe expects consumers to spend up $4.52 billion on Saturday, which already passed, and then today on Sunday as $4.99 billion on Sunday, ahead of the year's biggest online shopping day, Cyber Monday. This year's Cyber Monday is expected to drive in $11.2 billion in spending, up 5.1% year-over-year according to Adobe. You know, people are spending money still, probably money they don't have. Like I just said earlier with the thought we were having, maybe there's going to be a chance some of these retailers are going to rebound. And maybe one reason why Black Friday shopping might also be a huge hit right now, I could see, especially with Target, if we've talked about Target in the past on this, Target had mentioned that they had a backlog of, not orders, backlog of supply, I guess. They had too much inventory. That's what it was. They had too much inventory. And they're probably using that time to get rid of all their inventory as well on Black Friday. Think about it. You could probably mark down a lot of stuff on Black Friday shopping. If you were to say, yeah, we need to get rid of all this stuff as quickly as possible. And the consumer's spending money. Probably money they don't have currently right now. I mean, it's good to see that the economy is somewhat floating. But it's also concerning to know how much debt potentially. And it's just, just food for thought. If if they're using the idea of buy now, uh, no, buy get now, pay back later approach. Makes me wonder where this quote-unquote debt is in the making right now with these people across the board. And who knows, tomorrow we'll be able to get to report a little bit more on Cyber Monday as well. That'll be an interesting report to look at as well. But it seems like things are going to get interesting for this holiday season coming up. And like I've said, I have a feeling retail is probably going to turn things around at the beginning of next year in 2023. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But continuing on with hot streaks, though, in the making, potentially, Hyundai is on a hot streak in the U.S., but Biden's Inflation Reduction Act could spoil it. From Savannah, Georgia, from CNBC, Hyundai Motor Group is having its best year ever in the U.S. The South Korean automaker has successfully moved from bargain economy vehicles and dancing hamsters to competing against affordable automakers in highly profitable American market. The company's Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis brands are expected to capture nearly 11% of the U.S. new vehicle market this year, marking its highest level since the automaker entered the country in 1986. It's also said to be among the top sellers of electric vehicles this year, trailing only Tesla through the third quarter. But whether the fourth, the correction, whether the world's fourth largest automaker by sales last year can continue that winning streak, especially in EVs, is in question. In August, Hyundai buyer lost federal tax credits associated with purchasing electric vehicles due to changes in the program under the Biden's Administration Inflation Reduction Act. Domestic automakers, including Hyundai's closest competitors in EVs, Tesla, Ford, and General Motors, still have qualified for a credit. All of Hyundai's electric vehicles are currently imposed, a correction, currently imported to the U.S., though it's produces several gas-powered models in a, and plants in Alabama and Georgia. Hyundai's motor company CEO, Jay Chung, said in an exclusive interview with CNBC described the loss of incentives as concerning and very challenging issue. But he said he believes the automaker can continue its long-term growth in the U.S. despite the near-term hiccup. IRA's short-term is 
gives us some limitations in the customer's choices, Chang told CNBC last month as the company celebrated its groundbreaking of a new 5.5 billion electric vehicle and battery plant in Georgia. Quote, for the long term, we have a very solid plan. I think we can be competitive. Hyundai's, including Genesis and Kia, are owned by the same Seoul, South Korea-based parent company, but largely operate separated in the U.S. So I'm going to say, okay, we know the EV market's becoming bigger, okay? We've talked about this in the past podcasts too, and I listened to those podcasts, listeners, if you want to understand a little bit more what's happening, at least on the political side of things. The EV market is going to keep growing right now, okay? And the only reason why is because governments are making rules and regulations in certain states that are allowing EV markets to survive right now. In California, they're making it so you can't buy a gas vehicle in the state of California in 2035. Same with New York. I believe that's happening in the UK either by 2030 or 2035 as well. It's in the past podcast if you guys want to listen to that as well. But it seems like this EV market, I mean, I don't know why Hyundai's freaking out about it. I mean, sure, you're losing a tax credit, but then there's a simple solution to it. Just move all your EV cars to California or New York at this point if you want to be able to make more profits. I mean, California is literally saying you can't have ele- you can't only have electric vehicles in the state at this rate which is still going to make things interesting when it comes to charging up the vehicles in the future because I don't think the power grid in California can handle it. I mean, for crying out loud, in California currently right now, we can't even get a desalitation plant for more water. And we had potential rolling blackouts during the summer as well. That was fun to deal with as well. I mean, when you get an Amber Alert on your phone in the middle of recording your podcast saying, make sure you conserve electricity, that's not very promising for the EV markets for cars currently right now. But going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, EV charging stations are popping up across California. So maybe in time things will settle down. Who knows? I I will know it's officially happening though. If I ever see an EV charging plant at a gas station, I think that would be an interesting sign to look at to see where things are going, but who knows? I don't think Hyundai has not unlocked. I don't think Hyundai has enough to worry about right now. I mean, they're doing what the Joe Biden presidency wants to do, but still need to keep an eye out for that. Now, if they continue the hot streak, who knows? But if they want to continue, just ship all your cars. My opinion, like I said, not financial advice. They should just ship their cars to New York and California because that's where the bills are being passed right now. And that's where they'll probably make all their money going forward too. So last thing we'll talk about is the tech industry as well. Tech reality check, how the industry lost $7.4 trillion in one year. CNBC, it seems like an eternity ago, but it was just a, it's just been a year. At the time in 2021, the NASDAQ composite had just peaked, doubling since its early days of the pandemic. Rivian's blockbuster IPO was the latest in record year for new issues, hiring and was booming, and the tech employees were frolicking in the high value to the stack, stock to their stock options. Twelve months later, the landscape is markedly different. Not one of the 15 most valuable U.S. tech companies has generated positive returns in 2021. Microsoft has shed roughly $700 billion in market cap. Meta's market cap has con- contracted over- by over 70% from its highs, wiping out over 60, no, correction, $600 billion from a year ago. Oh, correction, a billion value this year. In total, investors have lost roughly $7.4 trillion based on the 12-month drop in the NASDAQ. NASDAQ. Interest rate hikes have choked off access to easy capital, and soaring inflation has made all these companies promising futures profits a lot less valuable today. Cloud stocks have created along crypto. There's plenty of pain to go around. Companies across the industry are cutting costs, freezing new hires, and laying off staff. Employees who joined the hyped pre-IPO companies and took much of their compensation in the form of stock options are now deep underwater and can only hope for a future rebound. 
IPOs this year slowed to a trickle after banner years in 2020 and 2021, when companies pushed through the pandemic and took advantage of emerging world of remote work and play and the economic flush with government-backed funds. Private markets darlings that raised billions in public offerings, swelling the coffers of investment banks and venture firms, saw their valuations marked down and then down some more. Rivian has fallen more than 80% from its peak after reaching a uh, after they reached a market cap of about 150 billion. The re, re, re the correction this IPO this ETF I think it's called Renaissance I believe as a basket of newly listed U.S. companies is down 57% year over year. Tech executives by a handful have come forward to admit that they were wrong. Yeah, even Mark Zuckerberg admitted that, and we talked about that in a past podcast. The COVID-19 bump didn't, in fact, change forever how we work, play, shop, and learn, hiring and investing as if we've forever be conveying happy hours on video, working out in our living rooms, and avoiding airplanes, malls, and indoor dining was, as it turns out, a bad bet. Okay. I believe there's a few reasons why this is happening, okay, in the tech market, in all honestly, okay. Obviously, we know Facebook. That's the easy one because they talk about Facebook in this article or correction in this case, meta. And small disclosure, I do have a meta position. So small position, long-term position. But meta has been focusing a lot on the metaverse. They haven't been focusing on the bread and butter, which was ads for the longest time. And it makes sense. Mark Zuckerberg wants to take the company in a different direction. So he's doing that right now. Wall Street doesn't believe in his vision currently right now. But we've also read too that the metaverse might be profitable for meta in the long term. When they decide that maybe they need to head uh, go to Asia markets, I think it was. Because in the Asia markets, that's where their bread and butter might be made a lot in the future. Not financial advice, obviously. But in my opinion, this is one of the biggest reasons why the tech sector is being hit the hardest. Okay, Do you guys remember the SPACs, the blank check companies being right up? Probably not. Not a lot of people do. But I remember in 2020, 2021 when SPACs were a thing and people were going crazy over SPACs. I don't know, maybe it wasn't 2020 or 2021. It was a while ago, but I just remember thinking when I heard about SPACs, I was like, this is ridiculous. You are putting money in a company that hasn't made a profit and you're expecting a lot of people to invest in these companies, okay? Even this article says they're SPAC frenzies. Remember SPACs? Those special purpose acquisition companies or blank check entities created so that they can find tech startups to buy and turn public were a phenomenon in, of 2020 and 2021. Investment banks were eager to underwrite them and investors jumped in with new pools of capital. SPACs allowed companies that didn't quite have the profile to satisfy traditional IPO investors to backdoor their way onto a public market in the U.S. last year. 619 SPACs went public compared to 496 traditional IPOs. This year, that market has been a bloodbath. The CNBC Post SPAC index, which tracks the performance of SPAC stocks after debut, is down over 70% since inception and about two-thirds in the past year. Many SPACs never found a target and gave money back to investors. Uh, Chamath, I don't remember how to say his last name, but he's a huge, he's a huge investor guy in SPACs. He s- says here, once dubbed the SPAC king, shut down two deals last month after failing to find suitable merger targets and returned $1.6 billion to investors. Then there's the startup world, which over half the decade was known for minting unicorns. Last year, investors plowed $325 billion into venture-backed companies, according to EY's venture capital team, peaking in the fourth quarter of 2021. The easy money is long gone. Now companies are much more defensive than offensive in their financings, raising capital because they need it and often not on favorable terms. 
quote, you just don't know what's going to happen. Correction. You, quote, you just don't know what is going to be like going forward. EY venture capital leader Jeff Garbol told CNBC, VCs are rationalizing their portfolio and supporting those that are still clearly the hurdle. That's still clear the hurdle, I mean. The word profit gets thrown around a lot more these days than in recent years. That's because companies can't count on ventures, investors to subsidize their growth, and public markets are no longer paying up for high growth. High burner names, the forward revenue multiples for top cloud companies is now just over 10, down from the peak of 40, 50, or even higher for some companies of the height of 2021. Okay, I think they made the point on this article. Here's the thing, like I said, I personally believe one of the biggest reasons why the tech industry is being hit heavily, okay? is a lot of the tech companies aren't making money. And that was one thing I remember thinking about too, back with the SPACs back in the day, was you had these companies that were going public that weren't profitable. You had I'll give an example. I remember, oh, what is that one company? It was like some real estate one. Oh, it's blanking my mind right now. Anyways, there was a real estate company that was going public and and they went public and they just weren't making money. There, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's had to do with like, if you had a company, you could rent out an office space and make it more hip for the millennial generation or Gen Xers or whatever you want to call it, Gen Z, I think it was, or whatever it was. And they weren't making money. Then you have Uber and Lyft who weren't making money either. These quote unquote unicorn companies. You know, the, when the tech sector starts to rebound, it's going to be because of profits. Okay. You know, honestly, if any company is going public right now, you you as investors, not financial advice, obviously, just something I have learned from studying Wall Street as much as I have, you need to look for companies that are making money. In all honesty, especially in this market currently right now, this isn't financial advice, but the SPAC deals were kind of just, in my opinion, a scam. They were. They, they convinced people to put all their money, well, not all their money, but a lot of their money into these companies that went public. I mean, even Beyond Meat went public during this time too. And I think, what was Beyond Meat a SPAC one? I don't think it was. I think they just went a traditional IPO. Could be wrong on that. But there were a lot of tech companies that did go that did go down this path of the SPACs. And it's coming back to haunt people now, okay? I'm curious to know at the end of the day how many of these companies are going to survive when it's all said and done. And in all honestly too, it's just, this is crazy to think that this was a trend for a while that you can just buy a SPAC merger and make a ton of money, but that's not how it works. At the end of the day, profits still matter. And these companies are going having their IPO soon. That's going to be a defi- defining factor for these companies. And in all honesty, it just takes one of these IPOs to go forward that might get Wall Street a little bit more excited. And if they're making money, the tech industry might rebound in that regard. But right now, like I said, I firmly believe SPACs were one of the biggest reasons. And and obviously, too, there's other factors, too. Like a lot of the money is shifting into the oil companies right now, as I kind of figured it would in the past. Not financial advice, obviously, but oil companies are getting a lot of the money right now. I mean, look at companies like Chevron, BP, and Exxon, even Saudi Aramco. Their stocks are doing really well right now. Now, granted, they're making a ton of money, too. But at the same time, it just seems like the transition went from tech to oil. It's just a transition period as well. But like I said, I firmly believe the SPACs were one of the biggest reasons why the tech industry is being hit the hardest. And obviously the transition of money from tech into other companies when you don't have an economy that's doing as well. And inflation is going through the roof right now as well. So an interesting thoughts that this is happening, but I think if there's any IPOs in the future... Stay away from SPACs, not financial advice, just my personal opinion. Stay away from SPACs and 
if you're going to invest in IPO companies, they better be making money or else you got to be willing to wait a long time before they become profitable because money talks a lot of times. Wall Street, I like to gamble. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription helps grow this podcast. So we'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street or that Wall Street isn't or willing or be willing to talk about at this time. Please also continue to share with friends or family as every like and subscription we help get when you share with friends or family helps continue to grow this channel. To my fellow podcast listeners who have continued with my journey so far, thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.